0: I will be honest. I am not confident in my ability to make this. To make this, <laughs> so I will do everything I can. Pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I was so... actually really interested to hear what Matt. Had <laughs> yeah, <right>? no, <laughs> no, so, I
1: mean,
2: he's, he's got a disciple's name. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only yeah. disciple here. Yeah. You know, Jesus is here eating this food. Excitement, probably laughter at some point, but then. The meal takes a weird turn, right? With the betrayer. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. What I think is interesting is that all of the disciples go around the table and say, is it me? (laughs) Yeah. I wonder, is there something in all of us that wonders and realizes that could be me? All right. Welcome this day to following him. Following him is the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church and is brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. Uh, following him's goal is to encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and to connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. So it's wonderful to be with you. Thank you for joining us today. Um, the day that this episode is being released, we believe, is Monday, Thursday in the calendar of the Holy Week. Um, Good Friday will be coming tomorrow. Um, when this re- is released, and Monday Thursday is of course part of Holy Week, as we remember the last week of Jesus's life on Earth. And so um, today on the podcast, we want to discuss Jesus's last week, kind of walk through those days um, with the scriptures, um, reflect and think through these things, and. Um, and just discuss these things together as brothers in Christ, and we hope that it will um, be encouraging to you as well. With me today, I've got Tim Icoangeli, lead pastor of MMBC. Hey. I've got Scott Slater, family pastor here. Hey, brother. And uh, Pastor Matt Bates, music and media pastor. How are you doing, Spencer? Doing well. Thank you, brothers. My name is uh, Spencer Snow. I'm discipleship pastor here at MMBC, and um, so... Today, as we're recording this today, actually, it's Palm Sunday, right? Um, Palm Sunday is kind of the kickoff day for the Holy Week, um, the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, Good Friday, of course, is the day when we remember the death of Christ for us. And then Sunday, of course, is Easter, when we think about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Um, so as we, as we think through these things, as we sit here and start To uh, reflect upon Jesus' last last, uh, week um, heading towards his crucifixion, as he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he's just performed um, probably his most astounding miracle, Mm -hmm. the resurrection of Lazarus. He's raised him from the dead. One of the most significant things about this is the fact that Jesus has chosen to do his most magnificent miracle in Judea, not in Galilee, not in the backwater country of Israel. This is right smack dab in the vicinity of Jerusalem, the holy city, uh, the city of David, the place where God's people had dwelt for years And he's done this miracle right in front of the religious leaders, right in front of the people of Israel, and now, of course, people are gathering, flooding into the city of Jerusalem. The city is expanding, stretched to its limits, and Jesus rides in on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem. Now, as Jesus enters that last week, um, as he rides into Jerusalem, people celebrating him, uh, waving palm branches and laying down their clothes before him as he rides into the city, Jesus knows, of course, what is coming. Jesus knows, as he rides into Jerusalem, that this upcoming week is the most important week of his life. Jesus knows that this week is going to demand all of his blood, all of his sweat, and all of his tears. His whole life comes to this week. And so as he rides into Jerusalem on this Sunday, he's greeted with the crowds, and Jesus knows what he is riding into So we start opening up here, Mark chapter 11, if you were to look at Mark's gospel, or you could look at the other gospels as well, and we see Palm Sunday, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, he's just performed the miracle, and and people um, see Jesus, they're excited about him. Um, What does this teach us about Jesus? The fact that as he rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he knows
3: what he's riding into. What does that tell us about this man? Do you mean in in terms of like he knows where he's headed but yet he's still calm and collected or he's still allowing this to happen yeah i think the fact that he does it even
2: though he knows he's going to suffer what does that say about his um mission about his his
3: love for us and yeah i mean think i think first and foremost it shows us he was here for a purpose and he knew what that purpose was to obey the father all the way to the cross i mean he just dealt with that in the garden right like we talked about as we looked at the garden together just how he, it seems in the garden he fought a battle. But it also seems that at some point during that garden scene, Jesus gets up and it's almost like he had won a battle there in the garden because then he approaches Judas and the mob with great confidence. And it and it seems as if for the rest of that week, he approaches everything with confidence. I know we're going to get get to that later, but even in front of Pilate, right? Even in front of all these questionings. There's no wavering. You don't see tears anymore, right? You see, I am who I say I am, right? Or this is who you're saying I am. And so you just see this great confidence of he was assured of what his job was here on this earth. And that was to obey the father all the way to the cross. And he was on his way there. And so he was doing it faithfully.
0: Yeah, and it highlights his patience as well. If As you think about it, you know, how many times had people wanted to go ahead and make him king? And he said, no, not right now. My time has not yet come, but now he here he is riding into Jerusalem because he now knows the time has come. You know, let's let's start towards the Son of Man being glorified, and so it just highlights his patience in that I think too.
2: Yeah, I think that's fascinating because you're right. John six right. He's just turned the bread, the the bread, and multiplied it, right? Yeah. All over, and we read that they they're wanting to take him. This is indeed the prophet who is coming into the world, and Jesus knows they're wanting to take him, and make him king, um, but he didn't do that then. But he does it on this day. He rides into Jerusalem at this hour, at this time, and he rides into Jerusalem. I think Mark is interesting. He goes in. Jesus uh, rides into Jerusalem. He goes in, takes a look at the temple, and heads back out of town. Mm -hmm. But then, it's not long. On Monday, he heads back into Jerusalem. And what does he do? But he has the audacity to clean out the temple, Mm -hmm. to go through. And I think he makes a whip of cords, right? He flips over tables of the money changers and the seats of all those who sell pigeons. Why was it such a big deal to the religious leaders that Jesus does this?
3: oh man, he's going into their house, right? <laughs> into their place of employment and disrupting everything. I mean, try to think of it in a fair sense. If someone were to come into our church and do that exact same thing, how would we feel? You know, they come in and said, mm-hmm. what you're doing here is wrong and they're throwing the tables over and, you know, they're you've got instruments here and that's wrong and so they throw our instruments out the window. They do all this stuff, right? We would be... Uh, I don't know if we'd be willing to sit and listen to it and say, oh, we want to hear what you have to say. No, we would be very offended at what was happening. And I'm I'm sure there was a, a great sense of that with uh, with the religious leaders, uh, feeling a great offense. Because um, I don't know how often they were pushed uh, by people, but Jesus was definitely pushing them. And now, all the way in Jerusalem and in, in the temple, kind of where they reigned supreme. And so... They took great offense at what, what he was saying because it was directed really at them, at the leaders. This is the direction you've taken, Israel, and it's wrong, right? And it's sinful, and I'm showing you this in this way. Uh, so I think that, that's a, a, a big deal to those religious leaders.
2: <laughs> and, and it's funny, too, because, right, this is the kind of stuff that Israel's enemies would do to the temple,
1: yeah. Mm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but now here's the guy who's claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah, and you're telling me the Messiah is going to come into the temple and flip over all the tables? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought he was supposed to be our champion. Yeah. Mm. Um, You'd think he'd be the one, like, maybe polishing the bronze and yeah. saying, this looks perfect here, <laughs> right, you know? Yeah. No, Great yeah. job, guys. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You've kept it up well. <laughs> I mean,
2: uh, yeah. I mean, I, isn't it interesting? They come up to him do, eventually, um, they come up to him and they say, hey, who gave you the authority to do all this stuff? Who do you think you are? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. How dare you? Mm. And of course they don't realize that it's God who's come into the temple. And this is probably, well, I mean, not probably, this is, this is the, um, if, if God was ever present in that temple, this is that one time. Mm. And they don't want him there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Do they? They don't yeah. want God in the temple. so he comes in he cleanses the temple he he talks about the fig tree we see there he engages on Tuesday morning he he teaches about the fig tree he engages the the Jewish leaders um, and he talks about the future you know he um, gives that that famous Olivet discourse mm-hmm. um, What do you think the disciples were thinking? you know Jesus they they go to the temple Jesus has been teaching in the temple. the crowds are excited the religious leaders are a little scared. Uh, along with being ticked about the fact that all these people are listening to Jesus gladly. Yeah. And so they can't touch the guy because they know the crowds are just going to turn on them if they try that. And, and, and yet in the temple here, Jesus, as they are there, the disciples say, Hey, you know, you know, look, Jesus, look how beautiful this temple is. And Jesus says, well, you know, you think that's so beautiful, but it's not going to be so long before all this is going to be turned upside down. Mm. What are the disciples thinking? I mean, why why was that – What what would that have been like for a Jew to hear what Jesus is going to say in Mark chapter 13 about the destruction of the temple?
0: I mean, you just think about how long it took them to get to the point where they were at. You know, all of the many generations that had to go through turmoil and strife, slavery and wandering to even get to a point where they had a temple, you know, and to think that this temple is going to be destroyed – and that Jesus would say that as if it's a positive thing. I mean that just sounds yeah. absolutely confusing. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't know what to think. Well, we're so
3: acclimated today to think negatively about a building within church circles, right? Even with what we're facing today with the with this pandemic, you you see all over the place. The church isn't a building. Let's let's be the church now. While that and that's absolutely true, but to them, the temple was where God resided. Mm-hmm. The temple was where God would go and forgive sins, right? Mm -hmm. At the mercy seat where sacrifices would be made. And so the temple was a very holy, special place um, that they loved to visit. They loved to see. They loved the beauty of it. They would give their offerings, right? They would give all this stuff to make it look beautiful, to be what it was because it was such a special place. And that's just something that's very different from our frame of reference today. You know, We don't necessarily think that way. Um, but for them, that's what it was, and so for Jesus to say, "This is all about to be turned upside down," like all the history behind it, like you said, Scott, all the meaning and what what it stood for, what it represented, that was a that was a big big statement for Jesus to make in that moment. And and he
2: he he's never coming back. We never read that Jesus went back to the temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: After mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's done. And, and I think it's a foreshadow. So what you have is you have Israel following the law in order to have their sins forgiven or atoned for. But then you have Christ coming to the temple once, you know, flipping the tables, getting everyone out, cleansing the table. It's interesting that that section in scripture is called Jesus cleanses the temple. But what it does is it foreshadows. He doesn't need to come back to the temple because he is the temple. Like he himself is going to be the sacrifice for atoning for sin Period, once and for all. So he doesn't need to come back to the temple. Right. Yeah. This is the last Passover. Yeah. The last
3: one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh everything changes. Mm-hmm. Changes after this. So Yeah, and he wasn't against, I think we need to say this too, though. He he wasn't against the temple. No. Right? Because because in the old he wanted to fulfill all the Old Testament. He saying right. he he would say that, right? I've come to fulfill all of the law. And so we see him throughout his life. Teaching where in the temple in the synagogues, opening up the scriptures and sharing these things, and so it wasn't that he was against the temple. It's exactly what you guys were just saying. Yeah. He, he's trying to teach. I'm fulfilling this. Right. This isn't needed anymore. Right. Right? right? You thought this was good,
2: Wait till yeah. so you see what I got coming. <laughs> right? Is uh, is that in Jeremiah where they say they won't say any longer the Ark of the Covenant? Yeah, they won't. You won't want. You, you yeah. know that you're going to look back on that, and I mean, probably fondly, but. Whenever you yeah. see what I got coming.
3: Or the woman at the well, yeah. right? That's what he would tell her. Right, right. right. The day kind is coming in, is here. Mm-hmm. And it's here, yeah. It's here.
2: So Monday, Tuesday, very busy days. Wednesday is kind of a quiet day, at least from what we have mm-hmm. in the Gospels. Kind of the quiet, you know, it's not a ton of stuff happening. Um, but somewhere along the line, Wednesday, maybe Thursday, I don't know the day exactly, and we're not told Somewhere along the line, uh, the disciples are hearing all of this, and Judas decides that it's time for him to um, turn over Jesus. He can make some money off of Jesus. And so we read in Mark 14 that he, he goes to the religious leaders. He tells them, hey, I can hand him over. They pay him money, 30 pieces of silver, it's interesting. I was listening to um, uh, Paul Meyer, who um, used to teach at Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. He pointed out that um, in today's currency, and this was filmed, I think, uh, I want to think maybe like 2003 originally or something. But anyway, he was saying like 30 pieces of silver would probably buy you like a nice suit of clothes, maybe like two or 300 bucks. Mm. Yeah. So it's not like G- it's not like Judas is getting filthy rich off of Jesus here. But he decides to turn and uh, to make some money at it as well. Who is this Judas? Um, What do we know about him?
0: And why do you think he did what he did? I mean, he was a disciple of Jesus. You know, he went everywhere that the other disciples did, saw the same miracles, listened to the same teaching. You know, heard the same things uh, that they all did. And so he was very much uh, part of that group of 12. And so, I mean, that to me just kind of highlights how scary it is to think that someone who was so close, you know, oftentimes, like I think Christians would have thoughts like this that it would be so amazing to be in on those conversations. You know, how many moments of teaching did Jesus have with his disciples that we don't have recorded in scripture Mm. and how amazing it would be to sit in on those and how much stronger our faith would be if we just had that kind of experience with Jesus. But then we, here we have Judas who experienced all of that yet here he is betraying his savior, Mm. you know? And, uh, and so that just, I think that can be kind of scary when you think about it.
3: It seems too from some passages that, I don't know if the disciples were extremely shocked that it was Judas in the end, just because in John, in John chapter 12, um, Judas spoke up about Jesus being anointed, if you remember. And, and Judas would say, this should have been sold. And John's response actually is interesting, um, because he says, he says in John 12, verse 6, he says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Hmm. And so I think we get a little picture into what the disciples might have even thought or known of Judas all along. Hmm. Like, yeah, he's with us, but I don't know how trust. Now, I'm not saying they necessarily knew he would betray Jesus and all Mm -hmm. this was going to go down, but it does say something about his character Mm -hmm. all the way along. Like, he profited from being with Jesus. Yeah, the two or 300 bucks, like you're mentioning, but it seems like he took more.
1: All along the way, mm-hmm. it was reoccurring.
3: Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think I read somewhere, um, and it's so true, right? You read John six, and you remember there was a time when Jesus is speaking, and um, a bunch of the disciples decide it's we're not going to follow Jesus anymore, but Judas decides to stick it out with Jesus. So it's, it's um, I guess in a sense scary. Um, the fact that we see Judas, he made a commitment to Jesus at some level.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. It wasn't a spirit-wrought commitment. It wasn't true allegiance, ultimately. But Judas stuck it out to a a certain extent whenever other people were willing to go away. Mm -hmm. Um, But but there came the point, like we pointed out. It's interesting, John's probably thinking, too, uh, as he writes that, his gospel, and he's looking back, and he's like, I could see things now, you yeah. know, looking back. But at the time, uh, it's funny. No one, even whenever Judas leaves, right, the Last Supper, we're we're kind of jumping ahead. But no one, no one thinks, "Oh, yeah, he's going out to dis- to to betray Jesus." Mm-hmm. They're thinking, "Oh, this guy is um, still our trusted our trusted treasurer, mm-hmm. our trusted uh, guy who keeps the money." Um, what was it? Do you think? Well, I mean, I know we we're kind of just guessing here, but. Obviously, it was under satanic influence. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was some level of greed involved. Hmm. What do you think? Did he hear something from Jesus that made him all of a sudden think, "I'm gonna turn on Jesus"? Or um, what do you was there? What do you think was the kicker for him?
3: I think I think it's the same that it was for some of the other disciples of what they were struggling with, what they were expecting to see, even in the triumphal entry and everything. Was the rebellion is about to take place? Hmm. Jesus is going to overthrow Rome. Like this is about to happen, and we are going to be amongst his court. Right? Okay. We are going to be leaders, and we're going to be authority figures here because he has chosen us to be with him. We've been with him from the get go, and so I, I think that had to have played a part because I think Judas was expecting, expecting that maybe more so than the others. I, I don't know. And then then when he when he hears Jesus's words, what he's talking about dying and all this, maybe that was the the last kicker.
0: Like. He's not going to be what I thought he was. So I'm out. Yeah, I think maybe, you know, part of it might be I'm sure that he knew that the religious leaders wanted to see Jesus destroyed. And surely right, right. part of that would also be destroying his following, mm. especially those who sure. are following him the closest. And I mean, like you said, we're speculating here. This isn't recorded in scripture, so I don't know. But I could see it being reasonable that Judas might think to himself maybe if I help them get him. They won't also destroy me. Mm. Maybe this is how I can safely get out of this. Mm. Right. Because he see, you know he he sees, you know as we've already talked about the direction of Jesus. He knows that Jesus is committed to doing this, and so it might just be that he can see that Jesus is going to do this, or maybe even that he does understand that he's going to go to the cross, that he's going to die, that he's going to suffer, and uh, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't have the faith to trust. That everything will actually be okay. Right. Um, so I don't know. You know, you can only speculate. Yeah,
2: I think. Um, yeah, it's a good warning um, for all of us. I think. Now, I mean, so he goes there. He goes there and he talks to the Jewish religious leaders. Now, uh, Caiaphas, right? He's talking to Caiaphas. We're talking about the religious leaders at the time. What is their viewpoint of Jesus? What is? You know, we we read about John and uh, in John's Gospel, is it John? Um, Oh boy, this is—is it like twelve or eleven, where Caiaphas makes his? um, I guess he doesn't realize he's prophesying.
3: Right, but he
2: is ironically Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. that um, these guys are saying, "Look, everybody's following this guy. We're losing everything." And Caiaphas says, "You guys don't know anything. Don't you know it's better that one man should die for the nation than that the whole nation should die?" Mm -hmm. And it seems like Caiaphas is really concerned because he sees Jesus as a liability, and they're going to take away not only our nation, but, you know, by the way, we've got it pretty good here too, and they're going to take away our place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what is their viewpoint of Jesus? Talk about that a little bit more as we think about Caiaphas, Annas, all the religious leaders. What are they When they see Jesus, what do they see?
3: Yeah, what you're referencing was John 11. I, I think they just see, like, another another leader that's being raised up some radical right mm-hmm. um, that they would accuse John the Baptist of and everything just this is some radical that needs to be quieted down um, he's starting to get a following once once he disappears off the scene it's all gonna fade away it's going to be forgotten just like all the others you know no big deal but we, we need to deal with it and it needs to be put needs to be dealt with now right it can't go much longer I, I think I think that's one of the ways they saw him. I think some of them, though, who heard him teach were threatened theologically, were threatened academically because he always had a response, he always had an answer, and they did not. Yeah. And so there was a lot of pride going on with it as well.
1: Yeah.
3: And you see that in Nicodemus. Yeah. Right, yeah, He's Nicodemus comes to him and
2: is asking Jesus questions. It's interesting, too, whenever... Um, um, in the temple, right? There comes a point where G- they're, they're trying to come to test Jesus, and Jesus starts asking, you know, throwing back a question, and then we read, they no longer asked him any more questions. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> they're done. This guy apparently knows what he's talking about. I mean, mic drop. <laughs> I, mean, when, I mean, like whenever he, yeah, exactly, mic drop. Whenever he answers that question about the resurrection, right, to the Sadducees, you know, about the guy who marries, or the woman who has all these husbands, right, and whose husband will she be? And Jesus says, well, you, you the reason you don't know this is because you don't know the scriptures, you don't know the Bible, nor do you know the power of God. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> you don't know the Bible, and you don't know what God can do. Mm. And by the way, have you not read the Bible? And uh, anyway, it's its a mic drop moment. So he's, um, he, he, <laughs> I and mean, if I can put it this way he really puts them in their place right and, and it's and it's um it's very uncomfortable for them so jesus we see the tensions rising and they've got to get jesus at a moment when he's away from the crowd right because while the crowds are there they love jesus the crowds even if they're not as we would maybe think about them being true believers, they love Jesus. And so the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they don't want to touch Jesus unless they can get him in private, in a, in a secret place. And so that's what they're getting Judas there for because he can lead them and get them when Jesus is away from the crowds, away by himself. And that's the goal. Yeah. So Thursday comes. Thursday comes and it's the time to eat the Passover. What was the Passover and what was its significance?
0: The Passover? yeah. It was the meal that they celebrated, wasn't it, the night before they were led out of Egypt by Moses? You know, so the Israelites that were enslaved in Egypt, all these plagues had come through. There's the final plague that's going to come, the angel of death, mm-hmm. uh, which I've been teaching Nolan at home the story of the Exodus. And so for some reason, he's obsessed with the angel of death. And, <laughs> you know, he loves superhero costumes, but now he joyfully dresses up as the angel of death in our home, which is not very encouraging. It's interesting. Okay. All right. It's like, I I don't think I taught him right, but um, the goal is not to be the angel of death. But, uh, but you know, this, this last plague that was coming and God, you know, uh, told Moses to instruct the Israelites to, to kill a lamb put its blood over their doorposts, but that wasn't, you know, we re- remember that part of the story, but it was also a, a, a meal that they were eating together, and, uh, and you know, he told them that even after this, you need to do this every single year, and it was meant to remind them that God had led them out of slavery uh, in Egypt, and it was just an annual reminder of God's salvation, what he had done. It, it was kind of like Independence Day, too. Right, it was kind of like it was kind of like the July
2: the Mm Fourth, right? Not, but but with much deeper meaning. Right, Mm -hmm. Right. this is the creation of our nation. Mm -hmm. This is our independence. This is our freedom. Yeah, and we're being brought out Mm -hmm. by Moses, the father of our nation, so to speak, or Abraham. I don't know how. but so that would have been a great redemptive meaning.
3: Yeah, and the Mm -hmm. high point of the Passover meal was the lamb. Right, right, was the you would have the lamb prepared, and you would eat of that lamb, and there was a reminder in that. Mm. that the reason the angel of death passed over was because the lamb was slain. Mm -hmm. And because the lamb was slain, we were saved, right? We were hidden under its blood that was on our door door frame. And so that would have been the high point of that meal
1: Mm -hmm.
3: each and every every year that they would do that, which again shows the significance of the Passover, right? It's pointing us to the cross. Mm
2: -hmm. The only difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites that night was the blood. Blood, that's it. Yeah. Blood that marked the distinction. And um so that that's that it was a very important meal for the Jews the place uh, you know Jerusalem is hopping right now and Jesus is there to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. Um they get together they're reclining they're relaxing um I thought it was very interesting on one of the um gospel coalition they've got a great course by the way if you're interested um, it, it goes through every single day of jesus's final week and it's really cool one of the things they point out is that people would eat this uh, reclining because to eat it reclining was a symbol of freedom mm-hmm. they were celebrating their freedom we're not slaves anymore we're free And so the the disciples are reclining around the table i wonder what the mood was like around the table Um, The the whole week's been tense and intense. Tensions must be high. What do you think it was like? This is before Jesus announces even the betrayer. What do you think the mood's like around that table?
3: I've thought about this a lot just because we do it in our program every year. And the way that we portray it in our programs usually is solemn. You know, you have the foot washing thing, which is kind of maybe confusing for the disciples, you know, what's going on here. And then Leads into the table, and Jesus does some weird things at the table, breaking the bread and the cup. But that wasn't the whole meal, you know. They would observe the whole meal together, and so I would, I would think that that would have been an exciting time. That would have been a time that people looked forward to in Israel. It's like, oh, we get to celebrate Passover, right? We get to have a big meal together, and we're going to be together as a family. And um, they had parts of it, you know, where the kids even participated in Passover, and so there was a lot of things that would have been very enjoyable. And so I don't know why it would have been any different for the disciples. I think I think a good portion of that meal would have been excitement, maybe even laughter enjoy joy, sharing this meal with their friends and mm. getting together. And then Jesus breaks that down a little bit at times, right, talking about a betrayer and all these mm. different things. Like, okay, now it's getting a little different mm. uh, attitude. But I think overall, for the most part, it would have been some excitement uh, in their lives. Yeah.
2: Right, it's interesting. They're eating at a nice a nice house, a mm-hmm. nice town home. I think I heard uh Paul Meyer say that it it could perhaps have uh, uh been uh, John Mark's mom's place. And they could mm-hmm. be um there together enjoying a nice yeah. meal at a nice and they, house. And he
3: probably pulls that from In the Gospel of Mark, in the garden, it says a little boy runs away naked, which historically people say that was probably Mark. And so Mark followed them from the house to the garden. That's probably where, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and so they, they, you know, Jesus is here eating this food. Excitement,
2: probably laughter at some point, but then the meal takes a weird turn, right, with the betrayer. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, "Uh, one of you is going to betray me. What I think is interesting is that all of the disciples go around the table and say, is it me? <laughs> yeah. I wonder, is there something in all of us that wonders and realizes that could be me,
1: hmm.
2: like because of our sin?
1: Hmm.
2: I wonder, I mean, not because we're saying that's what they were, any of them were actively planning to do, hmm. but because I wonder if there's a part in all of God's people that is saying, you know, and, and you talk to people as well, right? And one of the big fears Christians always have is if persecution comes, will I stand the test? Yeah. Mm. And I wonder if there was even this inner turmoil right now where the disciples are wondering, Peter, James, John, whenever all the chips are down, am I going to trust him? Or am I going to be faithful to him? Mm. Or am I going to be a turncoat as well? What's my buying price on Jesus?
1: Mm.
3: And I wonder what Judas is thinking. What, do you guys, what are your thoughts? I think doubt is something every Christian struggles with. I mean, I find that just in counseling. A lot of people will come into my office and have throughout the years, and they are questioning their salvation because of doubts that they have. You know, uh, that as they dig in scripture, they see this and they're struggling with that. Or a lot of times it boils down to this I just realize how bad I am. How can I be a Christian? I continue to do this sin. I continue to struggle with this sin. It's like us trying to wrap our heads around the gospel all the time and believing it and trusting it all the time and how astonishing it is that it is true Mm -hmm. that Satan still can put into us this doubt saying, there's no way that's true. There's no way that's true for you and we all struggle with that and i think that's what we're seeing at that table at that moment right there has to be some doubt like
1: hmm.
3: man i i doubted this was real last week
1: <laughs> you <laughs> right. know
3: i mean then he healed that guy and my my faith got back yeah, but that's good yeah <laughs> i i have you know and so i th- i think we can see ourselves in that yeah. in that room i i know i can speaking from experience
2: I, I, th- I think one of the things too like you know uh, i think luther would also talk about this you know People think that oh, yeah, all you do is believe. Oh, have you ever tried that? <laughs> <laughs> you ever tried that? Mm-hmm. Believing mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ and putting all your chips mm-hmm. on him for justification and for eternal life. And mm-hmm. saying, I'm putting all of them on him. Not one part of my obedience. Mm-hmm. And no feelings. Remember, we sing that song, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus', Jesus name. Jesus name yeah. That takes a lot of lifelong courage mm-hmm. say I'm keeping them right there because we're always wanting a little extra or wanting some more. Uh, I don't know what we might think as being more certainty,
0: but our certainty is entirely found in him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Spencer, I'm thinking about your question, just self-reflecting. What would I do? You know, what, How would I respond in a moment like that when, when basically my time comes, you know, and we talk about doubt and that you would have about, you know, your faith or things like that. But I think, you know, just as I'm considering it, that there's some kind of maybe happy place between doubt and overconfidence, Hmm. you know, because we see a picture at, at the meal, uh, of Peter who is overconfident in his ability to follow Jesus to the death no matter what mm-hmm. and Jesus tells him no you're actually going to betray me before the rooster crows 3 times mm. Mm. you know and so just in my mind like i i want to be somewhere between doubt and overconfidence wow. i don't want my confidence to be in myself but i i don't want to doubt because i want to have full faith and trust yeah. that he is the one that will keep me mm. You know, and that's, there's some, I don't know, there's not really a line. It's a gray area. Because what place. you're
3: saying is the same sin. Mm-hmm. The the sin of doubting to where it gets into sin is a sin of self. Mm-hmm. The sin of overconfidence, most people I've come across who say, my confidence, you cannot shake my faith, my ba-ba-ba, it's on themselves yeah. in their life. And again, it's a sin of self. Mm-hmm. And you have to live in that in between. Mm-hmm. That's where faith, I think, really lies of what you're saying. That's not two different sins. Mm-hmm. That's the same sin coming out in different ways. And that is how good Satan is at
1: his job yeah. and his task. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. <laughs> Unless you become like little children. Yeah. yeah. You will in no wise mm-hmm. receive the kingdom. Mm-hmm.
1: So you had asked about Judas. Mm-hmm. Like all the other disciples are kind of going going through that, like doubting. But Judas has already set in motion his, the betrayal of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So he's at that time thinking, I've been had. Like he knows, you know, I've been found out. But it's interesting about that is that Judas has witnessed Jesus knowing other people's thoughts and their pasts. Just thinking of, uh, you know, the Pharisees, mm-hmm. knowing their thoughts and then actually answering their questions before it even comes out of their mouths. And then also, like the woman at the well, you know, I've just met a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And now he's, I've got to believe Judas's heart's pounding. Oh, yeah. Right now, right? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and then he turns to Jesus and says, Rabbi, is it I? And Jesus says, basically, your word's not mine.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, and what's fascinating too, and we, we, we need to move on for time's sake, but is it seems, I, I, I got to go back and read. It seems like, um, John would have been on one end of Jesus and perhaps Judas could have been on the other end. And that's why he could have spoke to Judas without the other disciples knowing Mm -hmm. your words, not mine. And, um, uh, I don't know a good warning, but we, it shows us also Jesus is even at this moment, um, and to the very end, Jesus is, I, I think there's, there's always the opportunity of repentance. But Judas mm. refuses it to the very end, Yeah. ultimately. Yeah. So, so Jesus is at this last meal. He's, he's breaking the bread. He's giving the cup. He's uh, doing this thing where he's saying, this is my body. This is my blood. Giving it to them uh, must be somewhat confusing, Eventually, though, uh, moving on, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they sing together. They head out to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's aware where along this way that Jesus eventually tells his disciples, Guys, um, I know you all are going to run away and leave me alone tonight, but listen, I'll meet you afterwards. Isn't that wonderful grace, by the way? (laughs) I know you all are going to abandon me right now at the time whenever, humanly speaking, I might want your assistance the most, but that's okay. I'll see you. I'll see you afterwards. I'll see you on Sunday. (laughs) Okay? (laughs)
1: I'll
2: see you Sunday. And then, so they are in the garden, and and Jesus knows his disciples are going to fall away, and yet he gives himself to them as the sacrifice for sins. He saves them anyway. And of course, we've talked about Peter's overconfidence. Even though they all fall away, I'm not. Um, and we see Peter's love there, don't we? He, he loves Jesus, but it's overconfidence. It's, it's in himself. And eventually, though, Jesus goes to the garden, and he takes with him his closest three friends, it seems like, Peter, James and John and Jesus enters into the garden he's greatly distressed he's troubled and eventually he says that i'm sorrowful even to death what is going on in jesus's mind his heart at that very moment when he says i'm so sorrowful basically i could die right now
3: I think I think it's what I mentioned earlier in this podcast. I have I have an advantage, I guess, over you guys at this point because I just preached this passage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, cheater. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I guess what I preach isn't necessarily the only way to preach it, or things that you can learn from it. But Jesus was facing a battle at this moment, just like we, I, like I said earlier. And uh, I think this is a battle that sometimes is overlooked. That's, what, that's really what I felt like as I was studying it. Like, I just saw this as a progression that Jesus made until he got to the cross, and the cross was the battle. <clears throat> but I really think this was a big point of the battle and even a victory to where, as you said, Spencer, just, friends, I want you to come with me. You know, Jesus could have ended the dinner and said, you guys go home, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go and pray. Uh, but he didn't do that, he's like, guys, Please, please come with me, because he knew what was going to happen. He knew the arrest. He knew the betrayal was about to happen where he was headed. He walks to the place where it's going to happen. I mean, Jesus could have went anywhere else, but he went to where Judas would know he would be, Mm -hmm. to where it all could be set up. And he he goes. It says a stone's throw away to pray. And so I don't know if the disciples could hear him or not. It depends, I guess, on how far you can throw a rock. Some of you maybe, some of you not. Oh, What's that supposed to be? Anyways. Um, but there is some companionship that he desires from the people who are going to run from him, mm. which number one is amazing because if I know you guys are going to run from me, I'm not going to say, hey, guys, come with me. I'm going to find some people who might not run, um, who might not flee, He he calls them and he just falls on his face before the Father. And I think the battle that's going on is he's not hearing a response from the Father.
1: Hmm.
3: right? He had this closeness with the Father all along to where he'd say, you know, you and I are one. And he would go off and pray and seek the Father's face. And there was this communion that you saw take place between him and the Father always. But now, as the sin of mankind is going to be thrown on his shoulders, it's like, it's as if the wrath of God is, it's starting And he's just begging, if there's any other way, if there's any other way. But Jesus, you know, knows there's not, that this has to happen. But yet in his humanity, he's still saying, if there's any other way. And so the weight of humanity is now upon him. And that's the feeling of unto death, which I'm sure some of us have experienced, not to that extent, but maybe where you felt the weight of the world on your shoulders. Like, I've got to make a decision. This has to happen. If I make a wrong decision bad things could happen. Mm-hmm. You know that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I feel like I could die.
0: Well, not even that, but along those same lines what we have in the garden is an example of Jesus who knows what he's about to walk into, but he's actually asking God like God, there are all things are possible with you. If there is a different way for this to happen, if there's a way for this cup to be lifted, Please let it happen. Mm. But then he says, yet not what I will, but Mm -hmm. what you will. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, how many times in our lives are there going to be opportunities where we're facing difficult situations of suffering or hardship or difficult conversations that we have to have? And we know that we serve a God that can do all things. And so we ask him, would you please lift this burden? Would you please remove the scenario or change these circumstances so that, We don't have to deal with this, but what we have is an example in our Savior of at the end of the day, what it means to follow him and his example is us submitting to God's will, saying Mm -hmm. not what we will, but what you will. So would you say at this moment is when he accepted death?
2: I mean, there's a certain... I think this is the the last... um, I mean, in his humanity, I guess. I I mean, I I think in his humanity... I mean, of course, I think he gradually grew in knowledge and knew what was going to happen. But there's a special sense in which, at his baptism, whenever he said, This is my chosen one, mm-hmm. I think there's a, and he's coming there for repentance. And John says, This is the Lamb of God. I think there's a special sense in which, publicly, Jesus is saying, All right, um, I'm starting to carry the cross. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that, especially at his baptism, but um and but then this is a special moment though cuz this is the last moment right before he's betrayed and this is in a sense the last moment for yeah. him to, for him to change
3: his mind right right and um to turn away and because to be fair to the disciples they didn't necessarily flee in the garden at that moment right they gathered right. their swords right, right and Jesus rebukes them right. and says don't you think i could have called right. angels to come right. and fight for me come on guys and it's Again, it's just that determination. It seems like it has switched, at least the way I yeah. read it and mm-hmm. understand it. Yeah, it's like after this time of prayer, after this time of focus with the Father, after the sweating drops of blood, feeling this sorrow unto death, it's like there was this acceptance of, I'm going, I'm going forward. This is going to happen.
2: I think too, one of the, it reminds me of a, it, it, it's the spirit of adoption. Yeah. Um, the the phrase Abba Father, I think, is found three times in the new testament twice here in mark and i believe one time in galatians yeah spirit of adoption whereby we cry abba father and isn't it interesting that jesus shows that 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 adoption that well he wasn't adopted um but that sonship because at the moment of his greatest pain what's his instinct father
3: you had to go to him go to
2: the and go to god as father And I think whenever the spirit of adoption is especially seen in believers in their suffering, when they are driven, and who do they call upon? Not simply God, but God as Father. And so Jesus does this. I think it it could be, I don't know, but as he's praying this prayer, and then you look in John 17, his other prayer, it's almost like he prays, he's scared. Father, if there's any other way, okay, there's no other way. If there's no other way, Father, get glory through this Mm -hmm. and take care of my people Mm -hmm. through this and bring in the other sheep. So Jesus, he prays, he's betrayed by uh, Judas, He's carried away to a trial. Um, and, and really, what's interesting, and I'm doing some, some work on this, right, there was basically a three-phase trial before the Jewish leaders here. First of all, he was brought before Annas, who is actually the father-in-law of Caiaphas. So Caiaphas is the present high priest. Annas was a former high priest, but Caiaphas is father-in-law. And so he was still a very influential person. Um, the Romans had the right or at least they asserted their right to change the high priest to whoever they wanted to be at the moment. So um they go to Annas first so you see that in John 18 12 through 13. Then he's brought before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin while it's still in the dark and this is still not um isn't it's not the last one that we'll see kind of which is the rubber stamping in the morning which we see in Mark 15 1. So he's brought before Caiaphas. They got to figure out some charge there. Um On the one hand, they say, well, Jesus, this guy said, right, I'm going to destroy the temple and then I'm going to rebuild it in three days. But all their witnesses don't even agree. And so eventually Caiaphas, he's kind of frustrated. He says, hey, are you the Christ? And Jesus says, yeah, and you're going to see the son of man coming on power on the clouds. And of course, Caiaphas tears his robe and he says, this is blasphemy. Now, what's interesting is you couldn't get blasphemy for being, for claiming to be the Messiah. You wouldn't get blasphemy for this. It was interesting, even watching today, Dennis Prager, he's a a modern day uh, Jew and he's a conservative, uh, you know, uh, he he has PragerU online. He points out that it wasn't the, the Messiah claim, it was the Son of God thing. Um, that thing is, is really appalling to, to Jews then and appalling to, um, many people today. Jesus is saying, I am God, I am his peer. And then he's brought before Pilate eventually. Um, what do we think about Jesus before Pilate? What kind of a guy is Pilate? Who is he? What's his role? Why is he here?
3: I think Pilate's put in a hard position, honestly he's not Jewish, right? So he's not, he's not going to go according to, to the Old Testament law. And so he's listening to these Jews, but the Jews are not his main concern. His main concern is Rome, but Rome wants peace where he's at. And so he's trying to figure out how to, how to make peace where he's at. And we see that right with the way he barters, you know, when he even gets to Barabbas, like there's no way they're going to want Barabbas over this Jesus. I mean, this guy is a real pain, Barabbas. This, Jesus is just saying some things. Um, and that kind of backfires on him. And, and I mean, we see his sincerity too, right, when he when he takes Jesus aside by himself, and he's asking him questions. Right. And Jesus is responding to him, and, uh, you know, they would start talking about truth, and and we see Pilate ask one of the most important questions mm. that you can ask. Mm. What is truth? Mm-hmm. He asks that question. It's like he sincerely wants it. And we see after his encounter with Christ, the last thing he really wants to do is kill Christ. Yeah. He don't want his blood on his hands because no. to him, this guy's innocent. This guy does not deserve death. I don't know if he he probably knew in turning him over that they would kill him. Like he says, you guys do what you want right. with him. Right. And so he's he's found guilty, I would say, in, in letting them do that, using Roman right. soldiers to do that. Um, But we can see, I think, he did not have a desire for that to happen. No,
2: Pilate tries many different, he tries multiple ways in which to kind of uh, get rid of this. He doesn't want to deal with this because he knows this is an innocent man. The Jewish leaders are upset because this guy is claiming to be the son of God. And of course, it uh, you know whenever the Son of God shows up and he starts uh, <laughs> yeah. coming after you, that's not very comfortable. Yeah. And so then they take it to to Pilate though, and they say, "What? Well, well, you know, look at him. He's claiming to be the king, right? Well, there's only one king, Caesar. Mm-hmm. He's stirring up all the people, and getting yes. them all, in, and the Romans don't want riots, right? So look, he's a political problem because they have to make him a political problem right. mm-hmm. for for Pilate. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. The Jews they couldn't execute people right now. At least in most circumstances. And so they have to go, they have to take him to Pilate and try to get this Jesus crucified so they can get on with Passover tonight, right? So Mm -hmm. they can get on with their holy day. And so they they go to Pilate and they're trying to get him to to execute Jesus. Pilate doesn't want anything to do with it. He tries to send him to Herod, who had been kind of, they had some political issues Mm -hmm. personally. Um, Herod sends him back. He tries to um, beat Jesus and say, "Look, I've punished him. He's not. He's he's learned his lesson." No, they want blood. They yeah. want him dead. And then he's like, "Okay, well, hang on. You know, we do do this release thing, and they're willing to take Barabbas yeah. over Jesus." And Pilate. It looks like potentially politically, he had owed his appointment to being um, basically the governor of this area because of of a a mentor, and his mentor has been recently in the past—I don't know, maybe a year or two—has been um, uh, has been sacked basically. Yeah. And so he's concerned about his own political future. He's trying to take care of himself. He's dealing with these people who are upset. And
3: even in his own home. Because yeah, his wife, wife saying, his wife is like, don't touch this guy. Don't you dare do anything. <laughs> I had a dream yeah. and this and that. And so he's getting it from everywhere. And so eventually he just says,
2: you know what, I'm washing my hands. And he knows this guy hasn't done anything wrong. And yet he sends Jesus away to be crucified. Uh, Jesus begins carrying his cross. He was probably crucified. Uh, the scriptures tell us he was crucified around nine o'clock in the morning. Um, so all of this is, this has been a long night for Jesus. And uh, Pilate's happy, I think, to finally get over this thing. And he's he's um, sending Jesus along, carrying his cross to Golgotha, um, where he will be crucified at, at nine o'clock. He's tired, lonely, beaten, bruised, slandered, and now a man sentenced to death by crucifixion and what is the charge he's the king of the jews as we think about this and we look to good friday as we will meditate upon that pastor tim's video coming up here on good friday where he's going to focus us up on the atonement what do we want to leave with as we close with this as we think about how is jesus saving us from our sins he does that on the cross but how is he doing it also as he walks
3: towards the cross yeah I just feel like looking at this whole week is so weighty and trying to even just think of how I should respond today when thinking about this week you know what do you just the impact that it's had in my life uh, what Christ has done for us as we see just his determination to get to the cross uh, to go to the cross his willingness to to go to the cross and We've all seen different movies of Jesus being crucified and him carrying his cross. You know, we've seen the Passion and these other things, and just the weight. I think that that even adds to it. You know, I, I can read and I picture things in my head, but you know, Hollywood does a good job too with movies and stuff, and just making you kind of visualize of what it what it might have been like to just the weakness that he must have faced, and then having to bear that beam across his back and and walk all the way up that hill, you know, to the thing that, in carrying the thing that would, he would die upon, the thing that he created, <laughs> you right. know. And to think again that all along the way at any time, he could have called the angels to come and to stop this mess, and he he just didn't do that. And what drove him to do that? Well, it was obedience to the Father. But also I think it's fair to say it was the love for his created, right? It was mm-hmm. the love for... For us, for those of us who'd be saved by God's grace, uh, would propel him or compel him to go all the way to that cross. And I don't want to separate that, though, from him obeying the Father, because I think that was first and foremost in all of that. And just the the weight of that, you know, makes you feel like you want to cry out. You want to call out to the pages, you know, don't do it. Mm. It's not fair. Right. It should be me. These are my sins. Nobody else can be held accountable for them. I must be held accountable for them. But yet Jesus would be account would hold himself mm. accountable for them. And and you know, it's like if you were watching a movie, you'd yell at the screen, Don't don't do it. End it. This is my punishment. You don't deserve this. But yet we know that he did that. And so all all that we can do in return is a life of obedience. Mm. Gratitude and gratitude. Yeah, Jesus.
2: He shows us um, his determination. It's not shaken by fickle emotion. It's not shaken by pain, and yet he does it all for us. He rode into Jerusalem, knowing what we, what he was going to face. He went to that last supper. Passover, knowing that this was going to be the, you know, prisoners will eat their last meals before their execution. Jesus knew that was his last meal and he wanted to share it with people that were sinners and that he knew were, were not going to be as faithful as they should be. And yet he loved them to the end. Mm -hmm. And yet he then continually, uh, shows grace. Remember John says we've seen his glory glories of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth and grace upon grace i think that the more jesus is pierced in this last week the more that he's pressed the more the glory shines through yeah. as we see him uh head towards the cross until eventually He's on the cross and he says, "It is finished. Mm-hmm. Mission accomplished. The job
3: is done." I'll never forget Spencer. I'll I'll end with this. I know I talk a lot, but we uh, we did a showing of the Passion back when it came out here at this church, and I remember we had people fill out cards after, which is the thing churches do, I guess, uh, to prove worth to what they were doing. And uh, I was one who collected the cards. I remember collecting the cards and being asked to kind of go through the cards and. Remember, I got one of the cards, and on the back, somebody wrote, um, "During the the scourging scene, they said one of those one of those whips was for me, was my sin." Hmm. And I remember thinking about that then and thinking, "Wow!" But now I think about it and I think, "No, no, you're wrong. Every single one was. Mm-hmm. The nails were for you. Yeah. The crown of thorns was for you." The ripping of the robe off his back after it was starting to get crusty, that was for you mm-hmm. the, the the sword in the side that was for you and his death that was for you. Without all of that, this doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. And so we can't say, "Oh you know that time he fell that was that was for me and that was no it it all was for you. I mean mm-hmm. every single part of it That's and great. we should carry that weight. I yeah. think with us understanding that. Yeah. What a wonderful gift. The whole Christ, everything he did,
2: um, is ours. Yeah. Well, let's end there. Um, we really, uh, I really enjoyed this discussion. It was good. And I hope that, uh, it's been encouraging to you as you listen to this and as you reflect upon the life of Jesus, but particularly this last week. And as we, uh, look forward to Easter, but we know that the cross came before the crown. So, um, We really thank you for listening. We hope it's been encouraging to you. And uh, if you want to follow us more, you can follow us online at mmbconline.org. We are found on Apple Podcasting and Spotify and Google. Um, So uh, follow us there if you would like to. Thank you for listening today. We'll catch you next time.